0: We are continuing the series called Joseph today. And um, the reason we're doing that, we wanted to look at kind of the the story of a Joseph. He's found in the Old Testament. He's found in Genesis, primarily in chapter 39. And um, if you don't know where that is, this is easy. If you've never opened up the Bible, we're in an easy book today. It's the very first book of the Bible. So Genesis, the Bible starts off with Genesis. And so it's easy to find. I highly encourage you, please bring your Bible. Um, sometimes I'm reading scriptures, and you don't know if I'm reading it from the Bible or you know something I thought would be cool. Um, so make sure you bring your Bible, and if you don't have one, hey, uh, go tell our information center. We'd love to get you a Bible and help you read it on a regular basis. But we're in Genesis chapter 39, and we've been looking at the life of Joseph, and it's been amazing. And walking through different weeks. Last weekend um, I was not here. Pastor Jason preached an uh, incredible message, and and just brought brought just I mean such a good word about. About the life of Joseph. Today, we're going to um, we're going to continue his story, and then next week we'll wrap it up. Um, and I'm excited. Genesis chapter 39. Now, I normally give context before I read this verse or these passages, but I'm going to actually bring context after, and it'll make sense in just a minute. Um, but if, if hopefully, if you have your Bibles, or not, we'll put it up on the screens. It says, "When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside." Now. Let me say something really quick, quick context. Last week, Pastor Jason ended the verse where Joseph is in Potiphar's house and he has this weird moment with Potiphar's wife and she comes on to him and Joseph actually does the right thing. He does what all the pastors tell you to do. When you're faced with sexual temptation, you don't be strong, you run. You know, like some guys like, well, you know, if a lady's just throwing herself at you, you just gotta be strong in the Lord. I'm like, there ain't no strength for that. Run. Run. Just run. Nobody's that strong. And uh, and so Joseph runs and he leaves his garment in her hand. And I thought that was just funny to me. I'm like, man, he must have just got like, I'm out, I'm out, Leave my jacket, my coat, my keys, I'm I'm gone. And um and then the Bible picks up right here what happened. So he does the, let me clarify, he does the right thing. This is good. He fled outside. Verse 14, so she called the men of her household and said to them, see that he has brought in a Hebrew to help us, to make fun of us. And he came in to sleep with me and I screamed. And when he heard that I raised my voice he and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she's making up a lie about what happened. He does right, she does wrong, and then typically when people do something wrong, they make up lies and double down on it. Y'all, that doesn't happen. That, that ever happened to anyone else? Not other people, right? We don't. We never felt that before. And verse six, uh, Verse 17, then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to make fun of me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Verse 19, now when his master heard the words of his wife which she spoke to him saying this is what your slave did to me he got angry like he probably should have and so Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined and uh, he was there in prison or another translation says there he stayed for a long time for a long time if you're taking notes today the test that we're going to learn about today is the prison test the prison test. He's in prison. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Lord, I'm grateful that you're here and that you're part of this community. You're part of this family. Today, maybe I ask for an extra measure of grace on our church. I I really believe um, there are times where I I have messages and I think God's going to speak. I know you're going to speak today. It's been in my heart. It's been bothering me this week. Because I just, I know, God, you're gonna stir some things. You're gonna move some things. You're gonna break up some things. You're gonna do, you're gonna, there's some unique change, life change today. Lord, we're asking you. We're asking you for you to communicate to our hearts and our spirits so clearly that when we walk out of here, we. We just know we can't, we can't continue to do the same things we normally have done. Challenge us in Jesus' name. And everybody say, amen, amen, amen. amen. Um, I'm from California originally, and I was born and raised kind of in the Bay Area. And in California, one of the big things you do in California is deep sea fishing. And has anybody ever gone deep sea fishing before? Uh, deep sea fishing is unique. Um, if you like fishing, you're going to love it. Um, but if you don't like water, you're, you're not going to love it. Um, because, um, and have you never been on um, a cruise or been on a boat? It's not the same thing as a cruise. When you're on a cruise, it's a floating, you know gigantic building. So you're not going to really feel what, the waves. You're not going to feel the water. You're you're going to feel mostly nothing, unless it gets pretty wild. But honestly, at the end of the day, you're going to be just fine. But when you go deep sea fishing, you're not typically going in a giant boat. You're going in a fairly small boat. And when you're in a small boat, you're going to feel almost every wave. Now in the bay, when you go out in the bay area, many times it's it's really a gamble. You don't know if it's going to be good seas or bad seas. You don't know if it's going to be waves or no waves. You're, you just kind of take a risk. And when I was younger, um, I was in a big church and the men's ministry was doing something like that men want to go do and go deep sea fishing. Now, I'm not saying women can't do that, but I've never heard a women's event going like, hey, let's go deep sea fishing at this women's event. I, it just doesn't happen. You can't do crafts on a table, on a boot. So, anyway. Um, so there's men's vent go out there. I'm like, okay, fine. So we get out really early. We wake up at four and we drive out to the, you know, the Marina, we get on the boat and, and we're starting to fly out there and it's great. And I feel like, man, we're doing really, really good. It takes us a good hour to get to where we want to get to. We drive to a, a bait area where you gotta, they gotta get all the bait. I'm like, couldn't you get the bait before you started this thing? But they drive to the bait area. They get that. And then we drive out and we get to the, uh, we drive, you know, drive with the boat in, in, sail out, whatever. So, you know, you go out and you get on the water. So we get out into where we're at and then all of a sudden the boat stops and you really start to feel it because when the boat's moving you can kind of feel it's going up and down but when it stops that's when you start to feel the rocking and the moving and everything like that so i get my fishing pole and i'm excited i cast out my fisher and uh, or my pole and and i'm starting to pull them up and i'm like this is awesome it's this is easy money and honestly by when you go on a chartered fishing boat they know you you, they're they want you to catch fish because if you don't catch fish. It's not good. So they have a spot where there's a bunch of fish. They know how to catch them. They know how to run them. So I'm catching them. For the first 30 minutes, it's lights out. I'm telling you, I'm so good quitting whatever I was doing for full time and become a fisherman. It was awesome. However, after about 30 minutes, my stomach started to feel different. And I don't know if you've ever gotten sick on a boat before. Has anybody ever gotten seasick? Anybody ever gotten seasick? The funny thing about being seasick is there's no cure to seasickness. There's no like quick cure. There's no like take this, try this, have this, you know, do a couple of this things. Pray to God. God doesn't answer your prayers on the sea. He doesn't. And it's, and and what's interesting is is I started to get sick on the sea, and I I mean I turned green. It was bad. I turned green. My friends were like, dude, are you okay? I'm like, no. I threw the fishing pole, and I just for a good hour and 15 minutes. I probably threw up everything you can throw up out of your body. And you start with throwing up, you know, you run down to the one toilet that's on the thing. Then once you're up there, then you forget the toilet. Then I threw up on the, you know, the the deck there. Then I threw up over the boat and it was just constant over the, I just, it, and I remember thinking like, "Lord, just if this is it, take me." now. You know, you when you're in those moments, you, you bargain with God in weird, like non-logical ways. You're like, if you took me now, I would be so grateful. Take me to heaven, Jesus. You know, you're like, this is ready to go. But I remember thinking, and I went to the captain, and I said, hey, um, when are we heading back? And he was like, and he laughed at me, and I said, he said, why? I said, because I'm sick. Like, I'm going to die. And he goes, bro, we ain't going back for another six hours. And I go, well, can you just take me back? He goes, in what? (laughs) You know, in what? And I was like, the boat. He goes, if I took you, everybody else would be, you're here, bro. You're just going to have to suck it up. And I remember sitting in the middle of the boat for six more hours, just like this. Just, oh, and you just can't, there's nowhere to go. There's no escape, you know? And if you've ever been in that position, you know exactly what I'm thinking about. And, and. You know, it's a funny story, but some of you are living that right now, and it's not funny. Some of us are in this weird season where you're like, I don't know how I got into this. Maybe you made a decision to get into it, or maybe it was happened to you. But you're in a position where you are in incredible pain, and you're sick, And you did the right thing, and now you're in prison. Prison moments is what I call like like a challenging low season that I can't get out of quickly. Would anybody in here be brave enough to lift their hand and say, I am currently in a challenging low season that I can't seem to get out of right now? Would anybody just be brave? Okay, okay, just come on. If you are. Just lift, I want, this is important. Okay, 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 okay. So many of you would probably relate to Joseph right now because he did the right thing, and yet he's in a prison. And what's interesting about this story, and what today, because you, you, if you've been coming here for a few weeks, at least, you'll remember the time when I preached about the pit, which was the week before, and you think I'm gonna say the same things like it's I'm teaching the same message. It's not. The pit's not the prison. So, so, so let me give you a summary of what's happened so far. Let's rewind and figure out what's happened so far in Joseph's life. We start off with Joseph, and we made a little cool slide to it. So we start off with Joseph and the pasture. Joseph starts off in the pasture with his family. He's happy. He's dreaming. Come on. These are the 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds who think that nothing bad could ever happen to them. Come on, y'all. Who, who are parents of them and have seen them. You, They do know, they can do, they are Superman and Superwoman and nothing bad's going to happen. And all of it is dreaming. Then he moves from pasture to the pit and what's crazy about the pit in week two, you learned that, man, what's what, what the interesting thing about a pit is that it's pretty terrible. And we talked about how to get out of it. But if you notice how the Bible talks about it, the Bible says that he was thrown in the pit, but he was only there for a short time because he didn't have any water. And you know, by human standards, humans cannot live without water for maybe a day or two. So you got to know he wasn't in there very long. In fact, the Bible says people came by, picked him up, sold him into slavery. Like They got him out of the pit pretty quickly. So the pit was interesting, but it, and it was hard. And honestly, Joseph's life, it was brought on by himself because he had a big mouth. His arrogance led him to being in the pit. But then God restores him, and Pastor Jason teaches us that he takes him from the pit to now he's with Potiphar. And so he gets sold into slavery, but, but man, then Potiphar brings him into his home, and, and then Potiphar does amazing things inside of his home, and he's like living his best life. He becomes his number two guy, and he's doing great things. And he's living great, and he's doing great, and God's great again, and God can do anything again. He's got faith magically again. And then he goes from Potiphar now to prison so, okay, so let me just, again, this is good for us to just recognize. Is this anybody else's life? Good. So up and down and then up and then down. And then next week you're going to find out he's going to end up in the palace. So see all the Ps that I put? In this preacher. So anyway. But is that anybody else's life but the pastor at this church? Anybody else? Does it have ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs? Come on, like you you put deodorant on. Ups and downs. Ups and okay, good. So it seems like Joseph's life is everybody's life, and and the, the pit is different than the prison because in the pit you got out quickly. In the prison, you have no chance of getting out quickly. In fact, you have no you don't even have the power to do it. You're in prison under terrible circumstances, and you have no way to get out. In fact, the Bible says that Joseph was in the prison for two years, falsely accused, did nothing wrong. And he was in a prison for two years. And I'd love to tell you that God will always get you out of your prison, when you want to get out of your prison, how you want to get out of your prison. But in my life, my experience is that God rarely gets me out of my prison moments When I want him to do it, it's almost like he has a better plan. It's almost like he knows what's good. It's almost like he stands outside of time and sees it from beginning to end. It's almost like he knows what he's doing in my life. And if you're not recognizing that and you're in a prison right now, there there is a way that comes to you and a way of thinking that comes to you that can make prison worse than it is. And I'm not saying prison is not bad in and of itself. I'm just saying, like, it could be bad, but you could be making it worse, especially if you don't know how to respond to it. And so what I want to do today is I don't want to lighten up your prison moment and, and discount it because what you guys are going through and what I'm going through can be incredibly painful and hurtful. And I don't want to discount that. I'm empathetic. I'm a pastor first. Before I'm a communicator, before most people are like, you're the funniest guy. You're a joke teller. I'm like, okay, I'm the comedian of the church. But, like, before I'm any of that, I'm a pastor, and Jesus loves you, and God loves you, and he's there for you, and he hurts like you're hurting right now. Your pain matters. But you got to know how to respond to it if you're in that moment. So if you're in that moment right now, you got to lock in. If you're not in that moment, you're going to be in that moment eventually because your life will be just like Joseph. You might be in the prison, in the, in the, honestly, in Potiphar's right, house right now doing great, being great. You might be in the pasture right now dreaming really good. But just give time. Give life a moment. It loves to shake stuff up. It likes to see how long you can be in the fetal position on the boat. Throwing up. And our response to it would maybe come from a wise man who wrote the book of Proverbs. His name was Solomon. And I don't want to go into much about Solomon. You should. You should Google Solomon. But his claim to fame is the wisest man who have ever lived. The richest man who had ever lived. And he pens this interesting statement in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And we're going to read this as the the response to what we do in the prison. He says this. He says, and this is one of the most famous verses ever. You might have this on a tattoo on your body. You could have this as a, as like a bumper sticker on the back of your car. Could be, you went to the Bible. You remember the Bible bookstores? Did anybody ever go to the Bible bookstore? They don't even have them anymore. They're like, Amazon took over everything. So like, you know, um, but you used to go to the Bible bookstores and they'd have like these famous verses with a picture. And it was always like in calligraphy and like weird art. And it was gold leaf and you put it on your wall. This is one of those verses. You've probably seen this at the Bible app. It was probably shared to you on social media recently. Some, if you're going through somebody, somebody already probably texted this to you. But we're going to read it in its context. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I love it when people text me that. Because I want to send them like multiple emojis that are not necessarily godly. And so I don't say that to you as a pastor going like, hey, I know you're going through something tough. Good luck with that. Here's a verse if you read it. It'll make all things better. I don't think it'll make all things better. But I believe in the word of God. And my hope today would be that maybe you would get some hidden wisdom in a verse you've probably heard your whole life, maybe. Your whole life. How do you respond to your prison moment? Let's break it down. Number one, I'm just going to tell it to you how it is, okay? Is that okay? Um, number one, don't trust your feelings. Just don't do it. Like my pastor, I feel, I, I get it, I get it, I get it. Believe me, I'm one of the most emotional men you'll ever meet in your life. Thank you baby for not in in that part. So like <laughs> I get it. But what we feel in the prison does not have sole authority in our life. Right. Yes. Yes. I need you to hear me because a lot of us live With the sole authority of our feelings in our prisons. Which means your feelings are the only thing, are the supreme thing that matters when you're in your prison season. Let's look at it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Culture says, you would think culture says the same thing. Because you probably heard something like that. Maybe it was from Disney. Maybe it was on a movie one day. Maybe your mama told you this, but he—it was the statement. Typically, sounds something like this: "Just trust your heart." Like, oh honey, your little hearty heart, heart is sweet, and it's—it's it's a good heart. You got a good heart, and you should follow, right? Follow your heart, and you're like, oh, the Bible lines up with Disney. No, it doesn't. It's quite the opposite. It actually is warning you about your heart. Did you see it? You thought it said, trust in the Lord and your heart. No, it said, you better be careful with that thing that would be pumping inside your chest. You got to give your heart to God. Because your heart's evil. That's what Jeremiah says. It says Jeremiah chapter 17 the heart is deceitful above all things. Do you understand what that means? He's saying, above all, the Hebrew for above all means, above all, <laughs> that there's nothing worse than your heart. And that it's evil. And I, I thought it was fast. The words matter. Desperately sick. And yet, you and I prop it up to the very thing that we should and should not do and how we make primary decisions in our lives. We do it all the time. And we trust our feelings and we trust our heart and how you think you feel in the moment because you really hurt and your emotions can cloud your judgment and before you know it, you make a dumb decision. And you know what's funny is everybody agrees with me in this situation because you can think back right now to a moment where you did something dumb and it wasn't because you were smart, it was because you were emotional and you said, you hurt my what? So therefore, I'm going to react in a way that lets you know my feelings are hurt and my heart is the only thing that matters. Yeah. I always tell people feelings are good indicators, but they're terrible navigators. Yeah. Yes. Now, you should consider your feelings. I'm not saying being motionless. But like, that ain't the only thing in the game. In fact, I always tell people there are two ditches with your emotions and your feelings. Number one, um, there's stoicism, which is typically driven by this idea of um, like you're rooted in practicalities and theology, but void of affection. You're void of emotion. And you think that's good. This is a, you know, by nature, this is a guy thing. And so you'll meet guys who have no, they value the fact that they don't have an emotion. everybody's laughing around them at a joke, and they value that they're the one that doesn't. When your friends and your family would love for you to join in life with them, would love for you to feel something with them, that if somebody says something funny, you laugh, if somebody's crying, you cry. You know the Bible says that, right? That you should mourn with those who mourn and you should celebrate with those who celebrate. Come on. And you value you so much that you've been void of emotion. That's a ditch. It's a ditch. It's the person who like, doesn't connect with their family in like, any emotional way. Church people are like this, actually. There are people who come into our church, and they'll say this stuff like, hey, what kind of church is this? Is this the one where you guys get all emotional? I just want good Bible teaching. Just tell me how it is don't give me all that worship stuff when people be raising their hands. Ain't nobody gonna answer their question. So it's like, just put their hands down. (laughs) Teach me the word. They love to use the word word. And I'm like, and Jesus had emotions. Jesus was tore up when his best friend died. Yeah. And he knew he was going to raise him up. Yeah. He knew it. And you could be that person. It's just like, man, I don't need emotion, feelings. The other ditch, though, is emotionalism. This is being rooted in feelings and emotions, but void of sound thinking. It's a ditch. And these are people who follow their emotions to everything they have. These are people. Honestly, I meet this a lot. Is um, you know, where I hear this a lot in, in marriages because somebody got married to someone because they had the feelings. Y'all know the feelings. Huh. Oh, she's the one. He's the one. Prince Charming. She's the princess. I love her. You know. And then you wake up. And you married her, and, like, her breath don't taste and smell good in the morning. Like, reality hits you. And you made an emotional decision when your whole parents told you, like, hey, that, that, that lady, she's crazy. You should not do it. And you're like, but I, but I, but I, but I love her. No, you don't. You're infatuated with her. You're attracted to her. You don't even know who she is. You don't even know who she you Give out some years. Come on, people who've been around the block, been married longer than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all emotional. Well, you see this in the church, too, where you, you may, you know, you people walk. The people, they, they come in and go, hey, pastor, we just need that worship. Just, can we just do an all-worship service? I wanna feel good, I wanna feel connected, I wanna feel something, I wanna feel it. I went to a church growing up where it was all about the experience, all about the emotional experience. And what we would do is we would would create and manufacture an emotional experience with the Holy Spirit, and then we would put his name on it. Because we saw a church do it, and God moved like that there, and we wanted to force his move here like we in charge of God but you don't live by sound doctrine or theology. They're ditches. So what do we do? The path of a Christian is we consider our feelings, but we're not controlled by them. By the way, if you have a feeling about something, tip for you feelers. The best thing in the world is to clarify your feelings with like a mentor, leader, pastor, anyone else that would have the authority or the responsibility to say to you, That sounds dumb. Do you have someone in your life that can tell you no? If you don't, you're incredibly dangerous. You're dangerous to you. You're dangerous to your family. You're dangerous to me. You're dangerous to the Starbucks lady. You are dangerous. Because someone in life didn't come tell you, you're dumb. And you should not do that. And if you don't have someone who does that, you should go find someone. Hey, will you tell me when I'm dumb? And then test them. Do something dumb and see if they says it. And then if they don't says it, you walk up to them and say, you told me you say I would do something. You would tell me if I was dumb. So let's try that again. I'm talking about if you want to be healthy and not trust your life with your heart. Joseph did the right thing, paid the price. You don't think he had feelings in the prison? You don't think he had feelings? You read his story. He sounds emotionally hurt. He sounds offended. He sounds like, I did the right thing. I mean, like, in our prisons, we can choose to trust our heart. We trust our God, but you can't have both. Number two is this. Our opinions are not facts. (laughs) But I didn't offend you. If I didn't offend you in that first one, mm-hmm. buckle up. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. buckle up. Proverbs chapter, what we think is in prison does not have sole authority in our life. That's right. it's just, the first one's to feel. The second one's to think. Now you're thinking. It's dangerous. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, And lean not on your own understanding. The word lean there is sha'an in the, in the Hebrew. It means to prop up or support. And I love the passion translation of, of this. It's so good. Um, it says, Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. Help me, Jesus, because I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a long time <laughs> as your pastor. If I have any credibility with you, any clout, I'm gonna use all of it right now. If you trust me in anything, I'm gonna use it all. Use it all. There's a warning you, it's gonna be good. To summarize what it's saying, it says don't prop up your life on your opinions. Don't prop up your life on your opinions. And maybe more than any other time in human history, we are obsessed with our opinions. News isn't even news anymore. It's opinion. Yes. And what's so funny to me is I talk to, like, Republicans and Democrats and what you would think be independents, but they're not. They're confused. And, um, <laughs> and whatever information you're getting, you're being drugged Come on. With, with opinion. Yes. It's, you're being drugged. Like, there's no Walter Cronkite anymore. It's here's what we think about happened, not what happened. So we've conflated now truth with opinion. We think they're the same thing. It's a drug. And you and I, we just keep taking it. I know people who have the news running in the background like it ain't a thing. And you're like, no, no, it's it's good, it's Fox. <laughs> no, it's good, CNN, 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 CNN. It's good. You don't understand, they... they they got this whole thing worked out. You bet you. You bet they do. Billions with a B attached to their opinion, so that you can think a certain way, and it seeps into our culture, you know. And it can be funny. You like I talk to me. Listen, I can talk about barbecue. Everybody's got an opinion about barbecue up in here. Everybody. Some of y'all like the Texas barbecue. Some of y'all like them. St. Louis-style barbecue. Some people like the down, dirty South Alabama barbecue with the white gravy and all. Like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I don't even know what the South Carolina barbecue. Y- y- y'all hear what I'm saying? And your opinion, here's what's so funny. You ask someone about their barbecue opinion, and they're like, they talk to you like it is true. Because I could ask you right now, which, who, hey, which one's the best barbecue? Y'all get ready to shout out. One, two, three, shout out. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. You were waiting. You were waiting. You, I, I saw some of you. You're like, let him ask me. Let him ask me. I'll help him. I'll help him right now. I will help him. He will know what it is. I can ask you about pizza, deep dish or regular. I can ask you about you know, how you wash. It could be even your life. You, know, I, you get into it with your wife probably right now about how she washes your clothes because it's not like mama. She cooks spaghetti but it ain't like mama. <laughs> she cooked them tacos and them burritos, but it ain't like mama. Come on. And you tell your wife like it's fact. It's opinion. It's opinion. And so the problem with opinion, I'm trying to be really clear here, is that opinions are not facts. Yeah. Yes. I, sat, I went on a trip recently and um, I was sitting in an, in an aisle seat, and it was like a 2-2. And there was an empty seat next to me, and a pilot walks in and sits next to me. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be driving a plane? <laughs> you <know? laughs> what you doing back here? And he goes, oh, I'm getting on a flight to Dallas, because I'm going to take a flight from Dallas. I'm, getting, I'm flying to China. Oh, man. He goes, I'm going to fly one of those big planes. And when I get around just unique people like that, I start asking, anybody ask questions? Like, I don't like to talk to people on the plane because I don't want them to know I'm a pastor. So, you know, like, turbulence starts happening. I drop a, you know, a cuss word. I don't want them to judge them. <laughs> anyway, so, um, but like, but he, he I, I, so I start asking, I said, hey, you know, what do you, like, when you fly to China, like, are you nervous about these big planes? And like, a lot of people on the plane, like, that's heavy, man. I feels heavy. I feel nervous. He goes, "Oh no, it's not a big deal at all." And I go, "I don't believe you." I literally told, him, "I don't believe you, man. That's, you got to have some nerves." He goes, "No, no, no." I said, "How, man? How? How could you do that? Take hundreds of people on a plane across the water, where everything bad is?" I've seen, like, you know what I'm saying? Sharknado and mega Shark. They all live in the, in the water. And he goes, he goes, oh, he goes, you would be surprised. I just get in, the, I get in the cockpit, and I just do what I was told. I said, what? Who told you? He goes, well, we go to a training and school for a long time, and the designers of the plane gives us these things called manuals, and we just do what the manual says. He goes, it's kind of easy, honestly. I don't really got a lot to do. I just got to make sure that the buttons are pushed and make sure that whenever... He goes, every once in a while, you might have a wind shear. Every once in a while, I might take hold of the, of the, you know, the joystick or what I, I don't know what it's called, but the, the rudder or, you know, the, the, or the, the steering wheel, I, whatever it is. And he goes, he says, it's not a big deal because I just do what the designer told me to do with the plane. He said this. It was just crazy to me. He said that. And I wrote it down because I thought it was good. The designers of the plane made a great manual. If we stick to it, it's a no-brainer. Okay, okay, okay. Because you're not connecting it, so I'm going to connect it. You have a designer. I really believe in this book. And I really believe that there are many of us who don't live by this book. And you're stuck in your opinion about what life should be. You get in the cockpit of your life and you wing it And you you, you remember some things that the pastor said to you about your life and what the Bible says about what to do in those situations, but you don't follow it. And rather than sticking to the designer's plan, you have an opinion about how to treat your wife. I'm grateful for your opinion about how to treat your wife, but the designer already has a plan. You have an opinion about what marriage looks like. I'm grateful for your opinion, culture, about what marriage is to you. But the designer already has a plan. And we could probably stick to the plan instead of winging it. I'm grateful you have an opinion about what the right to life is and what you believe to be life is. But the designer has a plan, and he already kind of laid it out for us. That's what, He kind of already did it. And there's a no-brainer. I'm grateful you have an opinion about how much food you should eat and how you treat your body. But the designer, man, he there, if you open this book, there is a, a myriad of things about how to treat your body. I'm grateful that you you have an opinion about parenting in here. But the designer has a plan. And your opinion in the kingdom of God is nice, but it ain't facts. I'm grateful that you have... You have an opinion about your identity. You built your life on an identity. It's your opinion. And you think it's race. It's not. You you think you think it's culture. It's not. You think it's what you do? It's not. You think it's where you come from? It's not. The designer has a plan. Last I checked, the blood of Jesus connects us all. That you know why racism is evil? evil it's a sin it's wrong and it's not wrong because Fox News told me or because a presidential candidate used it to get into office it's wrong because the designer told me that all humans are created in the image of God so I'm grateful for your opinion, but it's not facts. And your thinking can mess you up because you can conflate the two. I'm just saying, could you go back? Somebody asked me my opinion on like a hot button issue. And they always ask me, you know, my opinion is not facts. I want to stick to the facts. I want to stick to Jesus. Because if I do that, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. And Joseph, I'm sure, had an opinion on what was going on. I mean, what Joseph thought was a prison, what God thought was a path. Because if you look at his life, that was actually the pathway to the palace. We'll find out next week. Shameless plug. Last one is this, I'm done. It says, in all parts of life, act like a disciple. What we do in the prison gives us hope for soul authority. In all your ways, ways there is direct, it's... Uh, It's Hebrew for um, parts of life. So parts equal seasons. So it's easy to be a Christian in the good seasons. Can you be a Christian in the bad? Can you be a disciple in the bad? Can you be a disciple in the prison? Because Joseph was reflecting the Lord, what he was doing. So much so that it's so weird. The Bible says the people saw favor on him. They saw the spirit of God. They saw the disciple in him. That's what got him through the prison and out. So the favor of God was on him because he figured out how to be a disciple in all parts. Can you steward those prison moments well? Can we be the ones that act like we actually have a God when something bad's going on? Are you reading one of the reasons I got off social media in 2021? I would be physically sick to see people who I knew were professing Christians go online and publicly whine about their life as if they did not know God. I'm like, please don't call yourself a Christian because if you have a God, who can do anything? I mean, and I'm not saying you can't struggle or can't feel stuff. I'm just saying, when you go public with your lack of, of faith and the God that you're trying to convince everybody else to be a part of, you lose credibility. And so I'm just saying, when you're in the prison, man, handle it well. Steward it well. Find something to work. Somebody told me the other day, they go, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I'm like, I don't even believe in that. They're like, well, what do you mean? I said, my motto is, like, if life gives you lemons, make a freaking lemonade empire freaking turn that thing around and make it work together for your good. That's the God I serve. It's not just deal with it and make it great. No, 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 no. What Joseph saw as a prison, God saw as a path. Maybe what you're in is the very thing that you need to go through so you can handle the palace. Great things come from bad situations all the time. Here's a few historical thoughts. Mark Twain sold Tom Sawyer. He was bankrupt directly after that for about 20 years. Bounced back and sold more books. Willie Nelson. Oh, Willie. He's a local favorite here. 68 albums. 30, but he owed $32 million to the IRS because of an accounting issue. Treat your accountants right. But he fought back and went on tour, went on to be more popular than ever after that. This is a famous one. Steve Jobs. He actually got... He recruited the CEO to Apple that wound up firing him. How'd you like to do that? Hey, man, I need you to come work for me. And then he winds up being the one that fires you. And they asked him, they said, man, what did you think about that? You probably were really bad then. And then he goes, man. This is what he said. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that being fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And you're probably taking notes on the very thing that... Steve Jobs created. Changed the world. And if you're not, you're stuck in Android hell. So I'm sorry. This is what it is. This is what it is. You can still come to this church and we just judge you. It's fine. Not a big deal. Do not email me. On your Android probably won't get. Never mind. So anyway, um, It's what we do in the prison that allows us to get to our next step. Look, my prayer is that maybe today you heard something that you could take a step in. Because some of you aren't in a pit, you're in a prison, and it might be a while. This is about endurance. This is about perseverance. This is about not just getting through it, not just surviving it, but thriving in it, come on, and learning that this could be the best thing that ever happened to you. I know that sounds crazy, But, man, some of the best stories I hear, they're all like that. I didn't see it then. But, man, God was doing something. I didn't see it then. God was working. I didn't see it then. The soil was my heart was being tilled. I didn't see it then. God needed to use that. He was using that. Maybe He didn't send the prison, but He used it to shake me out of my my own world of what I was been doing for 20 years. God used it to make sure that I was not going to be the same person going into my new season that I was in my old season. God used it to heal me from some wounds that I had. I didn't even know I had, but now I got the wounds all healed inside the prison. I fixed those things. God worked on it. He showed up, and now I'm in my new season, and I'm healed, and I'm whole, and I'm ready. God, I didn't see it in the end. Because man, that time I had to walk through that really tough issue with my family or my wife or my kids or my job. And it was working on my character and it strengthened my character and it steeled my backbone. And I can walk out with faith and hope and love knowing that if that didn't kill me, not only can I make it, but I can go and make it great. Like I got a better life on the backside of what I'm going through right now. So with all the love I have inside of, of my heart and this church, I empathize with your pain and your prison moment, but that ain't going to kill you. Come on. Yeah. It ain't going to kill you. And maybe God's at work. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you that today, God, there's no better place than to be in the house of God where we can receive both truth and love, where we be both encouragement and And maybe some hard teaching. We can can receive both grace and the facts of who you are. And my my prayer is that maybe there was a clear indication of who you are and what you, you ascribe to be in our lives. And that's God. That's King. In Jesus' name.